Welcome to West Virginia Commonplace. I am JR, your host. You guys know me. You know the normal thing that we do on this show. We interview people. We have people on that have lived through some type of experience, have a story to tell. And I have with me the amazing Jackie Elliott. So the question that we always ask, and it's the who is Jackie Elliott or who is this person? But before we do this, something new I want to do on this show so we can get this out the way. We need to know, Jackie, your mission statement. Let us know what your mission is in life and let us know that bold statement. Well, I, um, let's see, I'm a life, spiritual, and relationship coach. And my goal is to help people become their best selves, to help them find their life purpose. And for those who are stuck spiritually, to help them find their spiritual guides. Okay. Now let's jump into that number one question. Who is Jackie Elliott? Tell us the story of how you came about and what the ups and downs have been for you in life. The ones that you would like to share with us so that we can get more personable with you and learn more about you. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, how much time do we have? (laughs) We got all the time in the world. Oh, terrific. Um, Well, okay. So um, I suffer from something that I call abusive brain chatter. And that is something that I work with with my clients. And I'll just tell you about myself. I was raised by a bipolar mother. She was suicidal. And uh, when I was four years old, she attempted suicide with uh, all my sisters in the other room. And that really kind of framed my life. It was very traumatic. I remember the fire trucks you know, taking her out or the ambulance, taking her out on a gurney. And I remember, you know, the neighbor was holding me really tight. And she whispered to the other neighbor, how could a, how could a mother do that? How could she leave her children like that? So at that very young age, I, I, that was what I remembered about the event, the shame that was put on my mother and that question that haunted me my whole life, Right. So um, I suffered from a lot of, um, you know, not having a parent available. My mother was, as I say, she was depressed. My father was checked out. And so I kind of had to raise myself. And um, what happened is I had a lot of abusive brain chatter. I used to, whatever bully my mother had, I remember asking her years later, and by the way, I just want to give you a a happy note. She did recover from it and take medication and she lived a a happy life in her, the later part of her life. And I remember asking her when I had my own children, mom, how could you do that? And she said to me, I believed that you would be better off without me. And that's when I realized that my mother had a bully in her brain, right? That she really believed that leaving her four children, who she adored, whom she adored, was better uh, than living with her. And what I realized later in my life, after uh, after I started to uh, develop my own self-worth and self-esteem was that that was the bully that was haunting me. I learned from my mother, when life isn't good, you check out. So I checked out with food, uh, with other addictions. And, um, and, and I, I held myself back from myself. It's like I held my breath for most of my life because one, I didn't want my mother to kill herself. So I didn't want to take up too much, 
too much oxygen. And two, there was really nobody to, to give me some good thinking. So whatever was going around in my brain, I'm not good enough, um, whatever those things were, I was kind of locked in a prison of what I call abusive brain chatter. My brain would try to protect me by telling me not to try anything, not I'm not worth anything. And, um, you know, at the age of 42, I was, I, you know, I, I knew about God, I knew about religion, but I, I knew that something had to change. It was like I had this aha moment. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't beat myself up anymore. This just isn't going to work. You know, if I live another 42 years, do I want to live my life like I've lived the last 42 years? I think that's a really powerful question. And when I answered that question, no, I knew I had to make some changes. And that's when I got down on my knees and I said, show me a way out of this. And I, you know, proceeded on a, a, a road of self-discovery and healing. And then I became a life coach. And now I help other people do the same thing. I help other people who have those, that abusive brain chatter, that bully in their brain. I help them figure out what that's trying to tell them, um, change the dialogue, and step into their authentic self. And a big piece of that is finding a voice, a power greater than yourself in order to do that. So that's really who I am in a nutshell. Did okay, that answer and, and, your question? Yes, and I, and I like that. And I, and I like the abusive brain chatter because that what, right there, I've never heard of an abusive mechanism because normally we, we have something in our head that it's supposed to be a defense mechanism to keep us from being hurt, not something that's going to intentionally hurt us or deprive us of certain things. So in all that, I learned something about you right there. It took you a long time to get discernment. Yes, 42 years. And, and I tell you, that's the hardest thing. I am at 37 years old as of July, and I didn't learn discernment until I was 30. And it's a challenging thing, and I'm glad that you expressed it there and that the audience was able to pick that up. Or if they didn't pick it up, I was able to pull it up for them. So abusive brain chatter. It's something that is a mechanism that causes trauma or it takes a trauma and flips it around. Basically, yeah, well, right? the, the way I describe it is it's really an emotional abuser inside of your head. You know, if you look at the signs of emotional abusing uh, of an emotional abuser, they're bullying, they're belittling, they're gaslighting, they isolate you. Um, they, they, they comment on your appearance negatively. Well, the funny thing is, is that people who have abusive brain chatter, that's exactly what they're doing to themselves. They're bullying themselves. They, they're an emotional bully. And their, their chatter is telling them, you're not, you're not pretty, you're not smart. Uh, you know, that's what happened to me that day that I really changed my life. I mean, the, the chatter was so loud that uh, I always say this, that I had a, an asthma inhaler in one hand and a remote control in the other because I was just checked out on TV and I had a box of cereal because I was just eating boxes of cereal. I was completely checked out because my abusive brain chatter was telling me that I, I could never make it in the world, that I was bad. It was just horrible to listen to. It was, it was pure abuse. And so that's, that's the difference between just negative thinking. We all have negative thoughts. I mean, in fact, research has shown that we have 
you know, that there's there's some question as to whether we have, you know, 8,000 negative thoughts a day or 4,000. But, but the truth is we all have negative thoughts. But abusive brain chatter, JR, is that chatter on steroids. It's that chatter where you start getting into what I call tornado head. And you know how your brain starts picking stuff up? You start going, um, oh gosh, my boss is probably going to fire me. I'm really no good. I'm not good at my job. I, I always do things terribly. I'm really, I have no relationships. My mother was mean to me. Blah, blah. And you start spinning and yes. you know, you perseverate. People do that. They just, they can't stop that chatter. That's what I'm talking about. When that chatter gets so loud that is holding you back, then, then you, you know you have abusive brain chatter and that's the time to get help to not only listen to it and find out what it's trying to do, but to change what it's saying. Okay. And we can get into that. I can tell you, you know, I came up with the ABCs of abusive brain chatter. They're very, they're simplistic, but it, it gives people an idea of what they have to do. Okay. So let's go to 42 real quick. So 42, you, you, you lay it all down. Yeah. You make that decision that, Hey, something is not right. I, I can't get over this hump and spirituality is something that should be strong reading in everybody and spirituality. Um, I'm not there to judge anybody's how you believe in what you believe, but, but the morality system that goes inside of spirituality is something that um, a lot of people lack. And obviously in your case, I'm not saying you lacked it, but it wasn't very refined. So you decide that you need structure when you decided to overcome your 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 um abc issue what were those steps what was this what was this guide that you made as you went along so the first thing i did is like i said i i hit my knees because i knew that i couldn't change my thinking with my thinking i knew that it had to come from a higher power didn't know what that was yet but I knew that that was something that I had to find. I also knew that I might need help finding that. So for me, my journey led me to a 12-step program uh, where I, I, I really got clear on my spirituality and I was able to love myself and allow my higher power, my God, I call it my higher power God, um, but, you know, when I work with people, it can be anything. It can be whatever they want to call it. They're, they're, they're Gaia, they're Jesus, they're God, what, whatever it is. But for me, I call my higher power God. So I, at that point, I heard the message, get help. And I knew that was a, that was a powerful message. And that's what I did. I got help. I got counseling. I went into a 12-step program. I got spiritual counseling. I got mentors. I, I did what I needed to do to quiet the chatter. So the first step in abusive brain chatter in my ABCs is awareness. That's number one. I had to be aware that something's not right. I had to be aware that that voice in my head was wrong and that it was telling me wrong things and that it didn't belong. It didn't belong there. That was the first step. Then the second step, which is believe, I had to get on my knees and believe that there was a power greater than me, that there was a God who had a kinder, gentler voice and who loved me. And if I would um, quiet myself, 
I could hear that voice and that voice wasn't going to be abusive, right? But the third part of the work came with, with, with challenging my core belief. I had to go back and look at my core beliefs and say, okay, is that true? Am I really worthless? Am I really a bad mother? Uh, am I really going to be unable to support myself? Is all of that true? And I had to challenge each and every one of those thoughts. And I did. That's what I did. I went through and I, you know, I challenged it. And then I realized through my spiritual growth that that's, that's not love. That's not loving. <laughs> and <laughs> I was entitled to be loved and I was entitled to self-love. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, that's the path I took. Okay. Now, um, you get deeper in thought. Um, and the thing that happens when we start changing, we have to be attentive to our intentions. And that's a hard thing because when you start down a path, we think that it's going to be linear and it's not going to have all these twists and turns. So what happened that day that your faith got challenged? Cause you know, you, you start off great, but we all fall at some point. So what happened that day? That you had to challenge, or that your faith was challenged. Well, that that day that I got on my knees, I got the answer. That day changed my life. Um, I am nowhere near the person I was when I was forty-two. Jr. I was severely asthmatic because I couldn't breathe. Right? I, I it was just I couldn't I couldn't even take space on this earth. Right? Um, my asthma doesn't bother me anymore. Once in a while, I have allergies. Okay. So I knew that God was doing, as they say, God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. And I, um, I also knew that um, from day one, when I started to get help, I was getting help. I was feeling better. So how could that be a bad thing? That was when I, I knew that my, my, my God was with me. Um, now, you're right. It, it wasn't a linear path. And of course, there are times when I had lack of faith. There were times when I would um, wonder if I would ever, you know, feel good. But and, and when I had a lot of fear, but I always let my faith be bigger than my fear. I let my faith guide me through the rest of my life. And to this day, uh, when I wake up and I hear abusive brain chatter, because, you know, I'm human, I still hear it, I, you know, I'm doing this podcast, of course, there's some fear that comes up, it's, but it's, but what, what I hear is I quiet myself. And I feel like my, my life is about other people now, is about uh, helping other people. So if that's the case, then I need to be open to hear. And if fear is going to block me, then fear has no place in my life, I have to feel the fear and do it anyway, as that wonderful book says. And that's where, that's when I really get tested. I call them God shots. I, I, I watch for my God shots on a daily basis. Okay. Okay. And I like that. Now, professing your faith inside of your practice is an amazing thing because being selfless and, and, and saying, you know, that God or a higher being entity can be anything and being able to prescribe to that and then so and subscribe to it at the same time prescribe and subscribe um and pass it along to people through your um 
coaching or your leadership, as we say, is a very difficult thing to do because some people don't have spirituality. So how do you counter a person that doesn't have spirituality? Oh, great question. I love this question. Um, I do it very gently. And the way I be, the reason I became a spiritual coach, I'll tell you, I became a life coach first, um, was that when I would work with clients and they would get stuck when I would, you know, uh, we would be asked, I would ask them questions and we would try to do a little bit of discovery work. And many times they were getting stuck. So I would say to them, okay, where are you feeling that in your body? And they would look at me and say, well, I guess I'm feeling it in my chest. And I would ask questions about it. What color is it? What does it feel like? What does it feel like in your body? What do you need? If it feels like fire, do you need water to put it out? And we would do some visualizations. Whoops, sorry. And we would do some vis visualizations. And um, these were people who weren't spiritual. But I realized that if I could pass, get past their head and bring them into their heart, they got a lot more growth. They, they were able to overcome obstacles. So I realized then that I needed to become a spiritual coach. I needed to get some more training and learn how to help people who don't have spirituality find that. And a lot of times what I do with clients is I allow them to find whatever it is that they think is their guide, their spirit guide. We start with the spirit guide first, because that's the most simple. And, you know, I'll, I'll do some work to take them into their body, do a little bit of meditation. And then I'll ask about, okay, so there's a spirit guide. What does that spirit guide look like? And they're usually more willing to tell me about their spirit guide, to tell me about that loving voice than they are if I would say to them, well, what is God saying to you right now? Which I can do with people who are spiritual. I can take them to that place and say, what is God telling you right now? And they can tell me. But people who, when I say the word God, go, oh, no, I don't believe in God. Don't, don't, don't go there. I take them in a more gentler way. And if it needs to be uh, an Indian or a, an angel or uh, one woman her guide was the wicked the Belinda from Wizard of Oz. Okay. She was she was afraid she did not want me to mention God, but we couldn't get past her issues unless she had a guide to take her. So she thought of the beautiful, you know, that beautiful Glinda in that bubble coming to her. So that's how I start. And then pretty soon when people get to trust Glinda, when she knows that Oh, when Glinda comes, life feels better. I feel good. I can, I get the answers. Then we can go a little bit further. Okay. I, and I'm I like not going to say I tricked them, but I'm going to say that, you know, the, who am I to say that that isn't their spirit, <laughs> that that's not the way their, their God appears to them. Uh, you know, that's not my job. My job is to help them go inward, hear the voice, hear the message so that they can be better people and share the message. All right. And I like that because it, it, like I said, it's being conceptual. That's the, the best way to be. So you have four titles I want to talk about in this uh, episode. 
and I'm going to do them a different way. Um, my first thing is motivational speaker. What happened in life to make you want to be a motivational speaker? And the reason I ask this is because some people are motivational speakers. Some people are charismatic speakers. And then there's some people that are engaging speakers. Mm. Which, one of, which one of them do you fit under? Uh, I really wanted to be a motivational speaker since I was very young. Uh, I used to watch Sunday. Sometimes I'd watch Sunday sermons. And I remember there was a lady named Catherine Coleman, I think. I, I, I can't remember, but I remember feeling very inspired by her. She felt very real and very approachable to me. And I liked what she was saying. And I thought to myself, that's, I could do that. I could do that because I hear what she's saying and I feel what she's saying. Um, and then, of course, you know, that was, but but I didn't have any real religious training or anything like that. And of course, I had my own demons. And I don't think um, I could, I, I didn't feel like I could ever be inspirational until I had cleared up my own demons. And until people started saying to me, wow, you're such an inspiration. Wow, you've really changed your life. I you know, I'm, I'm married. I'm in, I'm in a wonderful relationship now. I mean, life is great. I'm working. I'm, you know, all of those things. Once I realized that I could walk the walk, then it became important for me to help other people do it because I think it's so important. I think it's really, really important that people feel motivated, that they feel excited. Okay. Now, let's go into the next one. And I, and I thank you for that because that works out great. We spoke about the spirituality or spiritual coach just a tad bit. What made you decide that spiritual coaching was something that you wanted to do inside of this? Because you could have just been a regular old-fashioned life coach. And I'm not saying that in a mean way, but some life coaches don't deal with spirituality. Their things are based off of – everybody's stuff is based off of morality but, or, or morals. Um but choosing spirituality, what made you want to go down that route? Well, you know, I was a closet. Uh, I used to call myself a clo closet spiritual <laughs> person. I didn't let a lot of people know about my spirituality. It was kind of my own thing. Um, but the truth is, Jr., uh, I would not be sitting here if I hadn't found a spiritual path. I know as much as I'd gone to therapy, I'd gone to psychiatrists, I'd gone to psychologists, that wasn't getting to the root of the issue. That wasn't, that wasn't even touching it. It was helping, certainly it was helping, you know, obviously, you know, I had a traumatic childhood, but um, it wasn't getting to the issue. So I knew that for me, the answer was spiritual. And that was the only answer part, well, that was the biggest part of the answer. So what I so, so that's really why I feel like I had to become a spiritual coach, because as I said, as I was working with clients, I was feeling stuck. I was thinking in my brain, I know what you need. <laughs> you need to love yourself. You need to you, you need to have a, a, a higher power. I know what you need, but I certainly couldn't say that. So that's what led me on the path to learn how to help people find what I found. Okay. And I like that answer. Now, my favorite part of coaching, relationship coaching. 
relationship coaching, I know that has to be a hard thing because in everything that you do, there has to be a connection. You have to de- de- develop what we learned in a later life, a certain type of intimacy with people. And when I say intimacy audience, I'm not thinking, don't think, put your mind in the gutter, but it's, it's, it's a relationship. Relationship has intimacy. Friendships are friendship, but a relationship has some type of intimacy to it. In my opinion, I don't know if you fall under that same category with it. So what made you want to become a relationship coach? Because that's thing like you, you take a lot of yourself, you give a lot of yourself and you take a lot in that's a lot of work. Uh, well, again, it was probably the same path. First, my first path was, of course, of course being a life coach. Um, and again, as I was coaching people, I found that they had a, many issues with boundaries. That's a huge, I think you, you know, you, you, so many podcasts talk about boundaries, but boundaries are a really basic thing that people need to learn and a basic thing people need to learn in order to have healthy relationships. So I would find that my clients were struggling in their relationships. And the issue was they didn't have good boundaries. They didn't know how to communicate with their partner. They didn't know how to ask for what they want. They didn't know how to express themselves without anger. They didn't, uh, they didn't understand compassion. There was all kinds of things that were, you know, th- that they learned as a child. Um, they learned their relationships from their familial relationships, and many of them weren't very healthy. So I learned, uh, so I, I became a relationship coach so that I could have the tools to help people. And a lot of time, to- and, and many of the tools are simply helping people uh, express themselves to their husband or being able to express themselves in relationships that work. That's a big one, right? People, they they get stepped on at work or they don't know how to ask for what they want or their boss is belittling them and they're unhappy and they don't know how that, you know, they don't know how to communicate and have a one-on-one relationship. And so the tools I teach are very, very powerful. They're very helpful. You know, I, I do a tool that's like an embrace technique, and that is that the first thing you do is you acknowledge somebody when you want to, when you're going to talk to them, you acknowledge them. So if you say have a boss or a partner, let's say your partner is, uh, doesn't help you with the dishes, but you're going to have a party that weekend and you really need help um, and you want to communicate to them, you would first acknowledge, you know, I know, honey, you work really hard and I appreciate everything you do for us. But I have to tell you that I, we're having company and I, I'm feeling uh, very stressed out about all the work that has to be done. And then you do an ask. So I'd like to ask, would you be willing to help me with the dishes on Friday between one and two or Friday evening between six and seven? Would that work for you? And usually people will, if it's presented that way, they're going to want to give to you. But if it's like, you know, you never help me with dishes. I don't, you know, I've got a lot of dishes to do. Or if you play the martyr and slam the dishwasher, that's not really, that's not active communication with your partner. And that's doesn't show respect. So those are the kinds of tools that I work with when I'm working with people. And usually it's a combination, spiritual, life coaching, and relationship coaching. Okay. And you summed up life coaching. So I won't even ask you about that because it life coaching all that stuff fits together with it. So 
we're going to get a little deeper into that episode. We're going to get a little personal or personal bull, um, as I like to say. 2020 is the news magazine that I pay homage to. Everybody knows John Stossel was the comedian on there. He had a little funny bit. Diane Sawyer was a quality interviewer that covered stories. But after that, it was Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters at 1042, 10.50. Sometimes she didn't have a long bit, but she, you know, she was the star. She asked questions that were thought-provoking. They were the things that either made you stay watching the news or you just turned the TV off because you were like, it's not going to get better than this. You went to bed by 11.05. Um, and in my household, it was Friday night, so I got to stay up till 11.05 just because Barbara Walters ran over. So um, growing up, Barbara Walters was very important uh, to me, and she's why I do what I do today because of the way that her line of questioning and just providing thought-provoking things. I like stuff like that. So it is your time, Miss Jackie Elliott, to do the 2020 questions. So are you ready? I'm I'm ready. All right. So here's a major thing. Um, people that help people need help. The, the first type of help we're going to ask about is what type of self-care do you take for yourself? Because here's an example, uh, and I'll give you a little bit of time to think about the self-care. Um, for me, for instance, doing these podcasts, interviewing people, learning about new people, um, figuring out just how people work, uh, intriguing stories like your own, um, and learning about different struggles because I could see you in a local Walmart or somewhere and just go about my business. And I say, that person looks very cheery, but underneath all that, there's a lot of baggage and different things that the world might not see because you don't see a lot of stuff behind a, a smile. So how, what's your self-care for yourself after you're helping everybody else? When your glass is only is half empty, how do you replenish that? <laughs> Uh, I take a bubble bath every day. Uh, and sometimes I even want to do it twice a day. That's where I meditate. I bring my phone and my timer into the bathtub. Um, it's very important to me to have quiet time and, and meditate and hear what I need to hear. Um, so the bathtub seems to do that for me. I do my best thinking in warm water and quiet. Um, that's one thing that I do. Uh, I go out in nature. I take walks. I make sure that I keep myself uh, physically fit, that I exercise at least three times a week, whether that be Pilates or taking a walk. I live in a beautiful, beautiful town in Bend, Oregon, where when I look out the window, there's a river that flows by my, my window and there's trees. Um, I feel that God speaks to people it through nature. So it, that's a very important part of my self-care. Um, I eat very healthy. Again, another part of my self-care that I learned, as I told you, 42 years ago, I was eating boxes of cereal. Um, I don't do that anymore. I eat three healthy meals and fruit or snacks in between. That's a, a lot of self-care. But, you know, that's an interesting question because I remember people always say to me, well, oh, it's so easy for you. They, they didn't know when they didn't know me before and they didn't know the person who was depressed and laying in her bed every day. Um, they think it's I make it look so easy and they say, well, it's not so easy for me. But the truth is, people who are successful, Jr. and you probably know this, they work at their lives. I read, I do, I read uh, inspirational things. I keep inspirational notes all over. If, if I were to show you my room, you would see everywhere I look, there's some kind of an inspirational note. I journal. 
I write dear God letters. So when I feel like I haven't been connecting with God in a while, I'll just write dear God, I'm stuck on this. I don't know what to do. I haven't connected with you, you know, help guide my hand and I will wait for the answer. Uh, I talk to people. I, I have a mentor. I run everything by somebody before, if somebody upsets me, I run before I respond, I pause and I run it by someone. That's self-care because then I don't get into, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I don't do that. I practice a lot of self-care and I've found that that's what it takes to keep me where I am today. And I'm happy where I am today. So I'm willing to put in the effort. Okay. And I like that answer. Like that, that right there just made you very personable because people know the person behind the help now. And that's the hardest thing to establish with people. And right there, you did it. So thank you for that. That's the hidden gem in this episode. So everybody, please pay attention to that. There will still be more inside this episode. So you get through these processes. You're helping people. Um, you have a system set up for self-care. But the one thing that we don't set up for, and this is the hard thing, is the unexpected trauma. So not everybody has a, a safety blanket. Not everybody has a way to deal with that. And the reason I asked this question is because we don't expect certain types of trauma. Like everyone knows that there was something that happened to me a few years ago, a uh, significant other of mine passed away. And that's one of those unexpected uh, traumas. And it's twisted the way I do things. I think I'm more, I'm more human now with people and I'm more understanding of, I have more empathy than I did before. I had sympathy, but I never had empathy. I never put myself in people's positions on things. I would be like, oh, I'm sorry that that's happening to you. How can I help you? Um, and then I will go about my business. No, I'll share your motives, but I just was kind of like, okay, I see you're in trouble. Let me help you, but let me not feel the way that you feel. Let me just help because I can, I know I can help. Not for any type of gratification, just because I can help. And, uh, and learning all that about myself, I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy. You're here for all these people and you don't worry about yourself, you know, or anything like that. You don't have any way to take care of yourself and it took a, it took a village it took a lot of people to just reach out to me they're like hey you're this strong person but these strong people need help so what kind of security do you have for yourself or assume that you have for yourself oh wow it's another great question um <clears throat> well you know i think uh this is interesting but yeah, about a year and a half ago or two years ago, my husband was very sick and he was in the hospital and they didn't know what was wrong with him. And he had a cyst in his, uh, his spinal cord and they weren't sure if it was going to burst and kill him. Uh, they couldn't go in there and operate. They couldn't do anything. They had to just treat it with antibiotics. So it was, there was touch and go for a while. And so here's what I did. Um, first is I accepted it. I absolutely accepted that this was my life at this moment. I think that's the hardest part for people when they face a trauma is acceptance. Um, but I said, okay, he may die. We, we talked about it honestly. And we talked about what we needed to do. What was his will in order? What would he like me to know? We just, we just faced it. We just accepted it. The next thing I did is I didn't get into that tornado head that uh, that victim thinking. 
oh, why is this happening to me? Why, why is God doing this to me? Why, you know, I hear people as a spiritual uh, coach, and I'm sure you, you've heard people say this, they, they say, well, if God really existed, then why was there the Holocaust? Why did God do this? Well, I don't believe that God does this for me, but I do believe that God walks with me through it. So that's the first person I dial up. <laughs> I turn it over to God and I say, okay, um, this, is, this is hard. I need to turn this over to you. But I also need to know uh, what I need to learn from this. How is this making me a stronger person? Because yes, God didn't just kill people in the Holocaust, but there was a lesson to be learned. And I imagine that those people who walked into the oven with God on their shoulder felt a lot calmer, a lot more comforted than the people who didn't. Um, and I don't mean that. I hope people don't take that the wrong way. Um, I'm not saying, you know, but, but, but that's, that's, that's what I believe anyway, is that God isn't there to be a puppet master. So things, bad things are going to happen. And I'm not going to ask for God to don't kill my husband, but I am going to say, help me, help me know what my next step is and help me know how I can put this, um, this to use, how I can help others. So okay. I guess that's what I would do with my trauma. You got strong answers and I really appreciate those. Cause like I said, just every time that I give you one of these questions, you just go in and you just, you nail it. All right. So we learned how you're going to take care of yourself and how you do things and how life has worked its way for you. And it's built you up. It's fortified. You just got new walls set for you. You got boundaries. You help people with boundaries and inside boundaries. I, I will, I, after this, before this episode, I'll have a whole series on boundary stuff coming out in September, but um, I like that you did touch on boundaries. So let me ask you this. Mine was 37. Yours was 42. What was one boundary that it took longer than, you know, we said initial boundaries, but what was a later boundary for me, for instance, I had to realize that access, how I let people access me determines some of my boundaries. It took me from 30 to about 36 to realize that I can't give certain levels of access to myself, to people, to certain people. And I got to learn them first. I got to learn them. And once I learn them, I'm good to go with how they access me, but it, or how they have access to me and how they access me, both of those two things. So what was something in boundaries that you had to refine and redefine? Oh gosh, I have two and I'll say, tell them quickly. The first one was I was married to, uh, for 15 years, I was married to a man who uh, was an emotional, uh, an emotional abuser. And I had to learn to set boundaries um, in my relationships, I had to learn to not be codependent and to stay in my own lane. That was a huge lesson. Staying in my own lane was a boundary that was probably the hardest lesson. And as a parent, for any of people who were there are parents and you've got children you're worried about, or they're, they might be getting into trouble or they might be in drugs and out into drugs and alcohol learning to stay in my own lane and allow, allow people to uh, have their own consequences was a, was a good boundary that I had to learn, not be a fixer. The next thing that I had to learn was, um, and this I learned that day, that very day that I got down on my knees. I always tell people I used to work 60 hours for 40 hours of pay. 
because I thought that I had to really show the people at work that I was good, that I was worth 40 hours of pay. And I bet there's a lot of people over there who overwork because they, they think that they have to overwork and they don't have good boundaries at work. That was the one of the first things I did was, okay, I'm getting paid 40 hours. I'm going to work 40 hours. And uh, so I started coming home from work on time. I started taking my lunch break. I started, um, again, not fixing other people and thinking it's their, you know, oh, well, my poor, my poor boss needs to think I'm wonderful. No, I'm going to stay in my own lane. This is who I am. This is how many hours I work. This is what I get paid for. This is fair. So those were the two boundaries that I had to set, work boundaries and in my relationships and really on myself and my relationships. <laughs> and my kids will probably tell you once in a while, I still cross over that boundary, <laughs> but, they, <laughs> but they're good. I've taught them to, to send me back to my lane. And that's good there because like I said, those boundaries, it's such a touchy subject. And once you get them set, life is very rewarding. I will just say this from my, my own self. I... I have set such good boundaries for myself now that people with ulterior motives and different things like that, I can, and I'm not psychic or anything like that, but I can almost sense someone that's not for me. And I don't ever discard anybody, but I have this thing and I share this with everybody. It's called my memories museum. I can place you there and I can have a memory, a good memory and a bad memory of you, but I can place you there and I can go on with life. Not saying you're replaceable or expendable, but just if you're not right for me or your intentions are not great or good or well, whatever you want to say, I can easily separate myself from you because I know that there will be no good that comes of this. And that's the hardest thing for, for me as a younger guy in my twenties to accept because I always felt like you had to salvage everything. But I realized that I'm not Fred. Uh, um, oh, Fred. Oh my God. The TV show left my mind. Um, the, the, the guy that, uh, red fox he was on that show where he oh. yeah mm -hmm. and uh he was a salvage guy like no i don't have to be him i can just sit here and just not salvage anything if it's something that's worked for repairing yes but if it's to salvage you know means that i have to go in and take the rust and i have to fix this antique or whatever i'm calling say no i don't have to do that anymore and that was the strongest thing i got out of that, that now moving forward yes yeah yeah you know i say uh you know Everybody invites toxic people into their lives once in a while. Healthy people invite them out. Yes. Right? And that was the thing there. So Jackie Elliott, to sum everything up uh, and to give you a, a quick uh, little deal about yourself, I want to tell you this. In a little bit of time I met you, I like uh, everything about you when it comes to how you, your charges, how you lead people and how you want to help people. That's something that's great. I want you to keep that. This is a little bit of a testimony real quick for you. Um, in life, it's hard to do that when we have to take a sacrifice. The sacrifice you had to take was 42 years of not knowing, not having discernment. Um, but uh, luckily with the help of the Lord and the help of um, the wisdom that is granted through following the Lord, you were given a lot more time on this earth and a lot more time to discover. The discovery is the hardest thing on life. And on the discovery, you have two things that you can do with that. You can be a student or you can be a learning teacher. 
You chose to be a learning teacher and a learning teacher is the greatest person you could be in life. Everybody talks about being leaders and all that stuff, but a learning teacher is teaching through example, teaching by experience, teaching by more than just an assumption. Assumption does not live in your world because you got rid of it. You set the boundary around that. You put a perimeter around it. You send it to Alcatraz. Not a lot of people can do that. And knowing that you did that and having that, that mental control and that mind power over that makes you one of the strongest and higher intellects in the world. And when I say higher intellects, I'm not talking about like just being a brainiac or something like that. But I'm someone saying someone that actually controls their mind. You don't let impulses from the world mess you up anymore. You don't let outside factors or in your case, the internal factors bother you to the point that you can't make you know you don't have to like you have discernment you know how to rightfully pick what's right for you and what's wrong for you and that's your greatest achievement beyond everything else you've done just for yourself nobody can take that away from you so that's something that's not manufactured that's not something that can be endorsed inspired um by anything but yourself so take that with you when you take a shower look in the mirror give yourself a big hug or when you wake up in the morning give yourself a big hug because there's a person that didn't get that opportunity there are people that won't get that opportunity that are people that will be stuck and you have the opportunity to help them. And we hope that they reach out to you and they find you through all types of uh, engagements. And, and, and that's the, the main thing that we want to happen there. And inside all of that, being able to witness to people. And when I say this to Christians, you understand what I say witness, but what I'm saying is in a generalized spirituality, being able to witness to people to say, hey, something happened to me. I was able to put the brakes on it and figure out why, what, not the who, because we don't care about the who, but I was able to find out some of the W's and get answers. And now I can lead this fulfilling, fruitful, spiritual life, which has ups and downs, but I know how to manage and control myself within that arena. So I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for presenting that on the show. Wow. Can- I am so touched by that. Thank you. I feel like I've been seen. So that really, that really feels good, JR, because that is, uh, that feels like that's my life now. And so I really appreciate that you see me. No doubt in that. So in wrapping things up, there are people that help us on our path. And it's a lot of people, we can't thank everybody, but I need you to take a moment and give an amazing shout out to the generalized public that has helped you. Please tell them, give them their flowers because we don't get a chance to give people their flowers until they're dead or their spiritual body is, is going on to a higher plane. And we're putting flowers there and we're not telling people that we, that this helped me or this and that. We just assume that they see it through a look or subtle ways. So is there anybody or a group of people or just however you want to do it? Who do you want to give a shout out to? Uh, Well, first to my higher power (laughs) Um, and next to the community in my 12 step uh, program who are always there for me, uh, who I can access whenever I want. And of course, my husband has been a wonderful support. My family, I have a I have a very loving family who supports me every step of the way. Okay, and, and I thank you for that. And I am JR from West Virginia Commonplace, and I've had Jackie Elliott on with me. Um, inside the show notes, you will be able to find any and every way to communicate with her um, and to help her um, help you with abusive brain chatter, 
um, in the things that stop you from being the great you. That is your plight. That is your position in life. And I commend you for that. And I thank you for that. So once again, I'm JR from West Virginia Commonplace. And on this one, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. And, and I'm going to tell you this. The challenge in life is not to be great. The challenge in life is to keep living a life. Hindrances come when people have blocks. And when I say blocks, I'm talking about things that are, they're not boundaries, they're things that block you from getting to a point. In life, we're taught that you go from A, B, C to D, but life doesn't really work like that. Sometimes you go from A to L, L to Z, Z all the way back to M, N. So finding a neutral ground, found, finding a place of peace is something that you should strive for and attain. If you don't attain it, you're going to just live a life of burden and this ABC, this abusive brain chatter will constantly conquer you. So get a grip on it. Talk to Jackie Elliott and she can help you get yourself into a great position in life. And on that note, I'm JR and we're signing off.